0: Welcome to Good Returns TV. I'm Philip McAllister, and for something different, coming to you from the Pullman Hotel in Auckland. Uh, Colonel's holding their first ever advisor conference here. Joining me in the studio, well not in the studio, in the hotel, all the way from London, is Tim Edwards. Tim is one of our regular guests, and he is the S&P Dow Jones Indices Index Investment Strategies Manager. Welcome, Tim. I got that right. You did, and thanks for having me back, for Yeah, no, it's great to have you. Now... You know, in the past we've talked about SPIVA is the big, you know, the S and P's um I guess scorecard active versus passive managers. You know, we've always un- asked for years why hasn't New Zealand been included in the SPIVA um research? And now uh, you're about to release the first uh data. Can you tell us why it's taken so long and a little bit about the New Zealand market? Yeah,
1: that's right. Look, um, So Spiva, as a scorecard, uh, first launched in the U.S. over 20 years ago, uh, and it started with just a few fund categories in the world's largest fund markets, comparing, for example, large-cap U.S. stock pickers to the S&P 500. And over time, we've built out our databases, we've built out our analyses to cover now nine different reports covering the whole world, but uh, although we've had a scorecard for Australia for a few years, um, this is actually the first time that we will be reporting on New Zealand active fund managers. So to answer your question, you know, why, why did it take so long? Honestly, this is a piece of research that we want to make really sure we get right. Um, it's something that tends to be discussed by the professional investment community. And we wanted to be sure that we were using the right fund, fund sample, that we were assigning the right benchmarks, uh, and the analysis was robust enough that we could put it out there for the wider world. Mm. And now, Tommy,
0: I'm really interested because I've always taken the view that in New Zealand, our while our um, equity market is quite small, mm. that managers here actually did active managers here did much better because the
1: market has some inefficiencies in it. Is that what you found? So I I certainly agree that I've heard the same. Um, Every time I've come to New Zealand, we're talking about the role of indices in portfolios and people are telling me, oh, you know, you've got to understand New Zealand is is different. Uh, We've got a very inefficient market and and people are able to take an advantage. Well, um, the scorecard gives a somewhat mixed picture on that perception. We produce analysis based on different time horizons, so one year, three years, five years, ten years, and so on. Over the last one-year period, i.e. the full year of 2023, just 46% of actively managed New Zealand stock pickers underperformed the NZX50. Just 46%, I say. I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, that is majority outperformance, minority underperformance. But it's not absolute domination by the stock pickers. When you go over to longer time horizons, looking out over 10 years, actually, it's not that different to what we see in other markets. 75%, three quarters of New Zealand actively managed funds underperforming the index. So, in the short term actually better than what we've seen in a few other markets. But in the long term, it does still seem hard for managers, even in New Zealand, to beat the index. So were you surprised by that result? I wasn't. I would Look, personally, I wasn't, I wasn't hugely surprised. What I did find interesting was um, over the past two or three years, um, the record of, of stock pickers in New Zealand has actually been very strong. Um, and what's even more interesting about that is... That's over a three-year period in which the very largest stocks outperformed, mm-hmm. i.e. if you look at the NZX20, so just the 20 biggest, um, that's taken an increasing share of the NZX50 over the last three years. Normally, when you see the very largest companies doing better, that tends to be tough times for active managers who tend to look away from the very largest stocks. So I think the, the, the recent performance of the New Zealand active managers is particularly credible uh, in domestic. So, so that's quite interesting. So, and, and I think you
0: did something in one of your slides today about the US market where the top five um, stocks dominate so much of the market. So so what you're saying is that when you have those top five stocks delivering the alpha and the outperformance, it becomes, unless you're in
1: those stocks, it becomes very hard so, absolutely, yeah. So, and and that's and it's always interesting to to. It, there's always stories in the numbers, and you thought, okay, how are they're doing it. But you're absolutely right. So, it's something you I would have supposed in New Zealand, something that I'm very familiar with from the US markets. And as you say, last year, 2023, that would have been a very hard market to outperform because so much of the benchmark gains were driven by a few mega cap stocks that that performed spectacularly well. And there are, you know, if, if you sort of take a it, equal or democratic approach and you know, i really like this stock this stock this stock you're unlikely to put as much money in the very largest names mm. as the benchmark did so th- that's one of the things that we look at in terms of the conditions for stock pickers so so what are the sort of surprises of anywhere in the in the report for you in new zealand been, there have been that look there, there are always interest. Mm. <coughs> excuse me always interesting stories to be found i think Another thing that that is sort of uh, increasingly interesting for me is to compare the equity and fixed income markets. Mm -hmm. So last year, generally speaking, very strong year for equities, um, decent year for fixed income, but there was a lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty in the fixed income markets. So seeing how managers navigated Mm -hmm. that, um, always interesting. um, And I would invite uh, your viewers go and read the report there's stories in domestic international uh, and bonds and they're, they're all pretty interesting so although we have a new zealand spiva report we still have to go to the australian website to get it
0: uh you yes indeed <laughs> yeah sorry just just you know the Australian-New Zealand Report. Maybe or, next year, yeah, look, Maybe next year. Now, so so we're going to go on to bonds in a minute, but one thing I thought was interesting about the New Zealand report is that um, survivorship rates of
1: funds in New Zealand seem to be much better than in other jurisdictions. They do, and I, and I, I think one of the things we've, we've seen in these reports around the world is it is really important to consider survivorship mm-hmm. bias and actually the, the, the uh, lack of patience, you might call it, with the sponsors of, of, of funds to keep patience with underperforming funds is something you really see. Mm, mm. Um, at least in the over the last 10 years and certainly over the last four or five years, the survivorship of, of New Zealand active funds has been much better. I, I don't have a, a deep reason as to why that might be, but I think it might be connected also with the pretty good performance over the past. So So we're going to change topics now.
0: Um, You talked today also about bond funds. So you were basically saying index investing in bond funds is very different to equity funds. Why is that? It's different
1: for a few reasons. Some are obvious and some are more subtle. Mm. Um, I think the most obvious reason is, look, um, we talked about the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is just 500 stocks. Uh, And with just 500 stocks, you actually cover close to three-quarters, two-fifths of the whole U.S. equity market. And within that, the top 100 stocks cover roughly 75%, i.e. it's pretty easy to build a portfolio that will capture the U.S. equity market without a vast amount of capital. Those same 500 companies that are in the S&P 500s, um, there are over six. 1000 bonds different bonds issued by those same companies so if you wanted to just capture the bonds from those 500 companies you need a much larger portfolio you might need to do a degree of sampling Um, and so here one way in which bonds are really different the overall bond market is bigger it's much more granular Mm. it's much more subtle um, and so replicating bond universe is something that frankly is much more difficult than it is in equities and it's one reason why bond index funds came a lot later and I mean decades later yeah. uh, in the history of index. Well, because one of the other things you said today was that um, you thought that bond funds were like 10 to 15 years behind equity funds. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, like, that's a long time. It is, and, and, and it's a particularly interesting 10 or 15 years. So, um, so this is a, another small advertisement for a research paper we, we just put out two, week, two three weeks so ago. So that's the tortoise and the hare? The hare and the tortoise. Yes, the hare indeed. and the tortoise. The hare yeah. and the tortoise. Um, available. Uh, use your favorite internet search engine. S B, the hair and the tortoise. You'll find it. We might even put a link in for you. Um, so the last ten, fifteen, maybe even twenty years have been have witnessed an amazing transformation of professional investment management in mm. the equities markets, but it hasn't really come to bonds. Mm. What's interesting is there's a roughly ten to fifteen year lag. First equity index fund, nineteen seventy three. First Bond Index Fund, 13 years later. First Equity ETF, 1993. First Bond Index Fund, about 10 years later in 2002. And throughout the last 50 years, we've seen the innovations in indexing coming to equities about 10 to 15 years later. And sitting here today in 2024, you look back 10 to 15 years and that dramatic change that's, that's transformed the equity markets and equity investing... And you look at where the bond markets are today, and it seems that we're in a similar place. So that's why we called it the hare and the tortoise idea. So that you know the hare's more fast and glamorous and attracts all the attention. Tortoise, you know, the, the, the original story begins with the hare mocking the tortoise's feet. Uh, but sometimes sticking to a plan, staying resolute, surely, slowly and surely can win the race. And what we do is kind of outline what we think is fascinating about the bond markets right now and why that might be set for uh, a really interesting stage of, of passive investing.
0: And so it'd be interesting to understand what you think might happen there. But also I'm interested, if, if we're that far behind, how much harder is it to build a, a diversified portfolio with um, index um
1: managed um, yep. um, bond funds? So I think, I think there, there is an inflection point, right? So when there was just one bond index fund in, in late 1986, um, how useful was that? Uh, the way that uh, many investors construct their bond portfolios is they want to take control of their duration, you know, their maturity. They want to take control of their credit risk. They want to take control of their currency exposures and more. Right, um, and that's not necessarily something you can you can do ideally, you want a wide range of different products offering different market segments, different maturity profiles, different credit profiles, and you'd like them to have a track record that demonstrates they're capable mm. of tracking their index you know tightly mm. uh and you'd like to have that ideally uh, with a decent-sized community of of, of funds, Mm. and you'd like to have all the data that one would want in terms of understanding the indices and understanding how they perform relative to active managers. So you see how there can be an inflection Mm -hmm. point where there's sort of slow, slow growth, and then you Mm -hmm. reach a point when all of a sudden this is now genuinely viable for people to build their entire portfolios around. We may be... I mean, look, it's not the job of an index provider to predict the future... But it does seem like we're at that stage today and that's why it was so fascinating to engage in this research. Oh, it's been been really interesting. We're
0: gonna leave it there, but thanks very much for your time. Come on, it's great to have you uh well in that Makeshift studio
1: today. Thanks yeah. for having me, Philip. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Thank you.